Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by Script Runner. ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk or end users. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. My name is Tobias Zimmergren, and I'm back again with Yussi Reune. What's up? Hi, Tobias. Uh, big news. I've let go of the lease of my current house. So, so this indicates, of course, that our new house is about to be ready, which it's not. So in the next six weeks or so that I still can reside in this house. We need to pack the current house, move to the new house, hope it will be ready. And then we actually have the summer summer holiday trips uh, booked already for July. So we will leave Finland for a couple of weeks. Um, so if in the future episodes, if all you can hear is this tin can style voice coming from my end, it means I'm living under a bridge and we're using a payphone to join these recording sessions. All right. Sounds good. I'm happy that things are moving forward with the house. Um, that's exciting. So on my end, summer is here, at least my parts of Sweden. So that means more outdoor adventures with the family, of course. And also the gas Weber grill is now going hot. And I'm looking for a good smoker to smoke some seafood and fish and things like that. Because I usually love to smoke. We, we catch fish ourselves or we catch seafood and you know, we, we pick mussels and, and clams and things like that because we'll live just by the shoreline. So we can kind of forage things from the sea and then cook it. And I'm not looking for a, a good smoker for that. And not one of those big green things like the big green egg or whatever you call them, um, but rather like a delicate small tower that it can hide away in the very small garden that we have. So yeah, it feels like summer today. So I'm excited for the months ahead with good outdoor cooking in the garden and to round that off, I'm now also planning a three-day trip into the woods at the end of May during a few days of vacation. And this will definitely be a, a great time to wind down and, and do some outdoor cooking as well. Uh, as you understand, if, if you tune in regularly to this show, I love being outdoors. I love go camping or, or sleeping in the woods. And I also love cooking outdoors. So that's a recurring uh, theme for me. And a pro tip, which is very simple and does not weigh too much in your pack is Bring flour, baking soda, water, and some oil, maybe some herbs if you want. And then you can make breakfast bread or buns in the woods when you wake up at 5.30 in the morning. And that's pretty amazing. So usually I go camping around some, some of the lakes or something like this. And I start my, I bake my bread and I put that on the fire. And, and while the bread is baking, I go down to the lake and I throw in the fishing line and I try to catch something for, for lunch as well. So it's, it's pretty nice, pretty relaxing. So, so yeah, I'm that's... That's for me. The, the only thing I'm hearing is summer is here. So yesterday here in Helsinki, we got a little bit of snow again. <laughs> so, so summer is not here yet. I'm happy it is for you. So this week, this is episode 134, Compliance with Microsoft Purview. So we mentioned Microsoft Purview a few times in the past year or so. And, and we sort of debated on and off that, yeah, we should do an episode on that one. And today is, is the day that we try to understand the service, how it fits in the overall compliance and security landscape of Microsoft offerings. So, Toby, 
what is Microsoft Purview? Have you used it? Are you currently using it? And are you following up on the capabilities and features of that? So I, I have not used a lot of this yet. I know we talked about it a couple of times. We do a lot around compliance, but we don't use Microsoft Purview for that. In our organization, we use different tools for that. So my, my understanding of Microsoft Purview Pure is pretty much what goes in the news, right? So I don't have the experience or hands-on with it. But I also know that they changed some names recently in, in the last few months, and that kind of both complicated and made things more easy depending on what angle you're looking from. So my only answer is I don't have the experience. So I'm, I'm going to throw the ball back to you and say, do you know what Purview is? And, and like, you know, for, for anyone who never heard this name before, what is it? So I, I had a chance to spend some, some real quality time with Microsoft Purview and and I sort of approached the service with, with an open mind that I know nothing about this. Let me just learn how to set it up and, and let, me, let me learn about the, the different capabilities. But then Microsoft did an announcement in, in April, so about a month ago, where they announced that they're renaming everything related to Purview. And when I was reading through that announcement, I figured, well, hold on, they are mentioning a lot of different products from Microsoft 365, from SharePoint Online, from Exchange and whatnot. And I know most of these having worked with the on-prem versions as well as in the cloud. So let's get this out of the way first. So Microsoft Purview, which is sort of the main umbrella brand, you, it, it used to be called a lot of other names. So I'm, I'm just quickly reading out the different products that now belong under the Microsoft Purview naming. So Azure Purview, this equals now Microsoft Purview. But then Microsoft Purview something something also includes now Microsoft Compliance Manager, the Office 365 Customer Lockbox, eDiscovery, Information Barrier, Customer Key, Basic and Advanced Audit Capabilities, Communication Compliance, Office 365 Data Loss Purview, so DLP features, double key encryption, records management, back to the good old SharePoint days, information protection, insider risk management. And I, I think those were all. So, so there's this huge table with all of the old names and the new names in the Microsoft Purview rename operation. So, so we'll put that in the show notes if you want to look up what is customer key now called, I think it's called Microsoft Purview customer key now, instead of something else. So perhaps to keep in mind here is that Microsoft Purview, as of today, when we talk about it, that will be the unified data governance service hosted on Azure. But if you talk about Microsoft Purview, uh, Office 365 data loss preview or prevention, then that will be the service it used to be, but it's just sort of renamed now to belong to the same service. Does this, does yeah. this make any sense? It does make sense. And, and while you were talking, I, I went over to compliance.microsoft.com to this compliance portal that we have. And you can also see the renaming here. So this is now called Microsoft Purview. So welcome to the Microsoft Purview compliance portal. And this is just compliance.microsoft.com, right? So this used to be the uh, compliance manager or compliance portal, and it's now the Microsoft Purview compliance portal. So you can see the renaming kind of go through some of these services and products. 
but I think the the explanation you said uh, was was pretty good because it's we know the name of a lot of these services we've used them you know collecting things under a new brand name in a way makes sense of course and things rename and will be renamed uh, as we know uh, in the cloud and, and in the Microsoft tech uh, tech space but yeah uh, I think that makes sense that's a good summary so I mean what do you do with this I know that purview you know, when I read the announcements for what Purview is and uh, things like that, it's this kind of solution. If we if we don't talk just about the rebrand or the renaming, but like the, the original Microsoft Purview or Azure Purview product, that was like a, a unified data governance solution where you could kind of see all the data so you can get governance of all your data, uh, whether that is on-prem, if it's in the cloud, if you have multi-cloud, different cloud vendors, different public clouds and, and your software as a service data. If you use different things like, I don't know, box.com or Dropbox or whatever it might be, Salesforce, Dynamics, uh, like getting all these things tied together. I, I haven't actually tied it together my, myself, but I did uh, have a discussion around this where someone tied their Amazon S3 buckets and their Azure data lake storages and Azure blob storage and like Azure SQL databases and some Power BI stuff and Azure files and SAP and, you know, yeah, well, I can just go on and on with all the different data services that exist. And like they created this kind of unified map of data across the entire data estate that they have um, and, and making that more discoverable. But I, I guess this is kind of the key sense of why this is such a important thing to understand. Like if you need to govern the data landscape and the data estate you have, Microsoft Purview will be a good kind of entry point for starting that journey. It's exactly for that. And, and since there's a lot of services, but if you just focus on Microsoft Purview, and as you said, it used to be called Azure Purview, it has three core features. And, and, and for me to learn something like this, since I do not have like a, like a two-year project coming up with just deploying Microsoft Purview to learn everything about it, what I need to do, I, I sort of need to need to set up a lab on my side, do a bit of configuration, read a bit about the theory, check out the licensing, and then uh, form my own holistic view on, on what is this service about and how can I use this in the future. So the three core features for Microsoft Purview are data map, data catalog, and data estate insights. And data map is, is probably where you have the most capabilities. So, so that's the feature for, for you to uh, find and visualize, visualize your data assets. And, and what Microsoft likes to call, you can graph out your data assets. And data asset is, is what, you, what you just said. It's Azure files, it's on-prem SQL, it's Power BI. It's any type of, of a service or storage that contains data. And data can be files, it can be databases, it can be something in between. And, and perhaps beyond this, what DataMap gives you, it, it gives you the relationships. You have this type of data on this database, you have that type of data in there, and they're connected like this. And perhaps you need to govern this, and you need to encrypt that, and you need to forbid that, and you need to block that, and you need to allow that. And through this discovery process, you will then learn, so what sort of data do we have and what sort of access are we giving people to the different data? And something I did learn 
is is when you configure data map so essentially you connect to your your data stores uh you get something called the data lineage and i i, I wasn't really sure what this means I, I thought it means the history of the data but it actually means the life cycle starting from the data's origin and how it moves over time across whatever you have multi-cloud on-prem uh software as a service and so on so you can sort of go back and forth to figure out so we have these unencrypted passwords in here how did we end up with this oh it started from there and somebody did something and it popped up here but obviously it means that that you would have this sort of data map configured to to get the historical data as well right i, I really like that it kind of reminds me of event sourcing and things we do in as developers, when we architect different types of solutions, we can do that where every line in a database or every change is a new line. So you always have a history. You can kind of roll back everything and you can reproduce your entire data model. Uh, so even if you've been in production for a year, uh, if you have a backup of that data, you can reproduce all the events. And if you then had a bug in the product, you can kind of make a, a code change and then roll out the data again and, and get it fixed. And I like this idea of the data lineage because it's not exactly the same, but it's a similar train of thought where you can kind of know that, well, here we are right now, and to trace things back and troubleshoot and find like root causes of whatever we're looking for, we can trace that back through the uh, the data lineage. And I really like that. It's a nice, it's a nice feature. It is. So so beyond data map, the two others, data catalog and data estate insights. Data catalog, obviously, once you're connected to your data sources you can just browse the data. So instead of finding the source system, some esoteric virtual machine in this and that network, you can just go to the Microsoft Purview portal and say, so let's see what we have in this database then. And then the data estate insights is sort of an overview of everything. And you can pull insights. Do we have clear text passwords or personally identifiable information? somewhere should we do something about this so so these three capabilities form microsoft purview and it's all about governing the data but obviously if, if your organization has two file shares and, and one virtual machine and one database you might not need this but for anything larger this this makes perfect sense so setting this up what i did just to see how this works is i i provisioned Microsoft Purview from Azure Portal. And then I spun up an on-premises Windows server, installed the, the latest SQL server, created a simple database, a couple of tables, some suspicious looking data like passwords and customer names. And then I needed to install the self-hosted integration runtime, which is sort of is the connector for Microsoft Purview to connect your on-prem to, to to the uh, data map and data catalog. And in order to get this up and running, you also need Azure Key Vault. And that's the place where you store all the credentials for whatever you need to connect with, which is outside Azure. <clears throat> so for example, the SQL Server connection string needs to go to Azure Key Vault. Then you need to give permissions to Purview to connect to Key Vault to read those secrets to connect to the on-prem SQL Server. And that's, that's really it. So it, takes about 40 minutes to, 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 to set all of this up, including installing the VM and, and the SQL server. So in that sense, it's easy to get started. 
But once you have this up and running, you have the Microsoft Purview governance portal, and that's at web.purview.azure.com. And that's where you do the whole configuration. There's nothing you can do in Azure once the instance is set up. Everything happens outside in a different portal. It's, it's good, but it doesn't look like Azure anymore. So, so all the icons, all the buttons, everything, are, everything is a bit off in the sense that, that the typical things you do in Azure do not apply anymore. And that I feel is, is a bummer because whenever I open the governance portal, I'm a bit off like, well, what did I need to do? Because I don't have the, the usual things here that, that would help me navigate this. All right. Uh, I think that's, that's a good approach as well to kind of learn more things about this, to just set it up and provision it yourself and, and take it for a spin. Um, so can you do that with, like you mentioned, an on-prem VM and a SQL server here and, and you know, whatever. So if, if I have only a few resources in a, in a test tenant, I can take it for a spin. Um, it is, is it also like risk-free, if you will, to take it for a spin in my company tenant? Um, would it be like, I'm not talking about enterprise here, I'm talking about 30, 40 people organization. Is it possible to take it for a spin and try it out? Or will that kind of incur some kind of cost? Or will it be a risk to any of the data if I do something wrong? Or can anyone just say, okay, I, I want to take this for a spin just to visualize and see what kind of data I have, but I don't want to you know, accidentally modify anything. I don't want to touch my data. I just want to kind of do the governance thing and see what purview can, can give me. Good question. And setting it up, I don't feel there's any risk in that sense because it's, it's a new capability and whatnot. But obviously you need to set up the key vault. I perhaps would use an existing one if you have some, but then you need to configure the permissions on the key vault. And the other thing is that if you need to connect to something outside Azure, you, you need to then download and install the self-hosted integration runtime. And if it's a production setup, like a production SQL server, I probably would not just go and install something because you often do not know what else is running on the server or if there's monitoring what the resources are, what the setup in that sense is. So perhaps set up a test SQL server, bring, a, um, a restore a backup from your production database to see how it behaves, just, just to keep it safe. One of the things you can now do once this is set up and this works, you can start adding data policies. This is in preview and once you have the assets mapped and they're available in the data catalog in purview, you can now start creating classifications and you can start checking what assets do we have? Do we have sensitivity labels? But also the data policies are a bit like Azure policies. So you can start denying read access to certain people on a customer database. I couldn't get this to work in, in my setup. Whenever I went to the preview, it just grayed out the, the, the plus button. I, I figured I was a bit too early on that one and perhaps it's sliding up later on. All right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so if we, if we talk about how this integrates then, because we, we have talked a lot about the different compliance and security aspects and tools in the Azure landscape. And now here's yet another kind of angle and tool. Does this tie in natively or, or naturally to any of the other things like 
Microsoft Defender and Defender for Cloud or Sentinel or any any of these things because I now need to go to Sentinel every day to check on some things. I need to go to Defender for Cloud to do some things. I need to go to Azure Advisor. I need to go here. I need to go there. So there's a lot of places I need to keep my eye on. And now we have yet another place if we now start rolling this out, which is okay as long as we know kind of our, our plan here. But does this kind of integrate somehow into the other tools so I can I can make use of the data in, in different ways? It, it does. I was a bit surprised that the, the support was so fully baked in in that sense. And obviously I didn't set set this fully up in the sense, but I did have a look how it looks on Microsoft Sentinel. So obviously you need to ingest the logs to Sentinel. But once you do this, there's a Sentinel workbook to, to view the data assets, the classifications, the labels. This is sort of the same what you get on, on the governance portal for purview. But the added benefit I feel here is that you can now create the analytics rules in Sentinel. So you could create a rule that goes, if any data with the classification containing social security number is found, then do something raise an incident or, or send an email or open a ticket in service now. So you can use Sentinel as you would with any other capability, but the workbook and the connector and the analytics capability is, is, is built in with the support for purview. That's one. And for Defender for Cloud, and I, I feel this is the next step, once you deploy purview, and you want to sort of go to a higher maturity level, you would then get visibility into your data layer. So you get inventory in Defender for Cloud, especially if you use AWS or Google Cloud, or you have something sort of out of your scope, and, and you need to tie that into the overall security landscape reporting, then you yeah, have Defender for Cloud and you enable the support for that. But what I did see, and this was in Docs Microsoft.com, uh, sort of not hidden, but not prominently visible either. No support for virtual machines, though. So everything you get, yes, it works in Defender for Cloud, but it cannot connect with, 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 the, with the data insights from VMs that you get from Purview. So perhaps this is something we're getting later on. I really like this, and I also like the idea here with um, for Sentinel, for example, with the workbooks and the analytics rules. Uh, workbooks is something I make a lot of use of. I have this for a lot of use cases, and I mean a lot. Everything, especially working with operations and working with running a distributed SaaS uh, cloud offering, it means there's a lot of things to keep tabs on. So that makes perfect sense to use workbooks. I can kind of cross-query and get all the data into a single place. I can see all my signals, I can see all my audit logs, I can see all my exceptions, I can see all the application health metrics, I can see all the data I have and where it is. And I like this idea here to also have workbooks to see your data assets, your classifications, your labels, and all these things, which, you know, today I'm monitoring a, a running uh, SaaS operation. In this case, I would be kind of monitoring, if you will, the data landscape that I have. So I so I'm on top of the governance game. And I really like that. So it's a it's a great idea because with a workbook, you can tailor it. You can do whatever you want. So in a lot of the pro products in Azure, you get the UI, you get a set of features, and that's it. You click this thing, this is what you're gonna see. 
But with workbooks, you can really tailor that to exactly the needs that you have in your organization or that you have in your role in your organization. And you can also copy an existing workbook and say, well, I need to modify this slightly for me, but some of my colleagues might need it slightly differently. Well, then you can have a copy of that and, and then modify it to, to your specific needs. And I found that this helps me immensely in my everyday. So I'm super happy to see that this now integrates also with, with Sentinels. You can get into a workbook in this way and, and kind of crunch the data. So that's, that's pretty nice. Um, so one thing that I'm, I'm wondering about, you mentioned here, you set it up on your, uh, on your environment. You wanted to take it for a spin. Now, my immediate question here, something we always talk about when we talk about some service in Azure is, how much is this going to set me back in my budget? Like, what's the cost? Is this something that is built in, like some services, like Defender for Cloud? And if you enable a specific feature within Defender for Cloud, for example, Defender for Storage, then you get built per storage account. So the actual cost is that. Some other products doesn't cost anything. You, you only pay for the underlying compute service that you use. How does it work with Purview? Like, what, what are we paying for here? So, so in my notes, when I had a look at the pricing, I've written initially, this will hurt you a bit. But of course, this is this is relative. Uh, the other day, I was I was uh, planning a project where we need to deploy Azure Data Factory, and and I I needed to look up the pricing for that for doing integrations and data transformations, and it's so complicated. There's so many choices, and and a lot of those those values you simply cannot know beforehand before you actually start designing the integration so so you sort of guess a lot of the time so for microsoft purview you pay for capacity units and to me capacity unit always implies a virtual machine running somewhere that's that's giving me the capacity so one capacity unit for 730 hours it's 285 euro so that's what about 320 dollars per month and this includes 25 data map operations per second, which is quite a bit, and 10 gigs of storage for the metadata of your data assets. I have no idea if 10 gigs is a lot or not. I, I think it depends on the data. But then for scanning, because you need to scan frequently uh, against your, your, your data sources, some scans are free during preview. So SQL on-prem and Power BI are free. Everything else will cost you. What will it cost you? Again, you need to get compute time and then the, 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 the lowest powered compute time is 32 virtual CPU cores and you pay one cent per minute, meaning 32 cents per minute because you have 32 GB cores. And then you have something called the resource set, which is fixed at 24 seven and that's 20 cents per hour, add, adding up to 145 euro a month, so about $170. And the data catalog is free for now, no pricing, but there's uh, different levels. So I think they will come up with a pricing for that. So the cheapest for setting up Microsoft Purview so that it doesn't do anything, the cheapest is 430 euro a month. The only way you can save up on this is that you remove the capacity units in between, but that's essentially removing the whole Microsoft Purview. So there's no point. And this implies to me a bit of the same what Azure Firewall is telling us that the cheapest incarnation of the service is in the hundreds of euros per month. 
So it's not for small businesses. It's not for a company with two SQL databases. This is for enterprises because the pricing is set so. So that makes sense. Um, I think that clarifies a bit with the pricing and it's kind of also what I expected uh, because something like this with all these capabilities, I did not expect that to come for free. And also like things in Microsoft Defender for Cloud and and these things like Defender for Storage, you enable something and then you pay for the resources that you protect. And in this case, a similar thing, you pay for the, the scan time and the capacity units that you use um, and, and like the data map operations that are included. And if you go above that, then I guess you need to go to the next tier and or the next level or however they will call it. So I think that's that makes perfect sense. But like you say, it's it's not for the two-man band uh, or the garage shop with, with five people building a startup perhaps. But um, I still think it's worth knowing about this and having this in the back of the of the head if you're a startup if you're a smaller company and you want to like go cyber hypersonic and you want to grow your business um sooner or later you will get compliance requirements uh, as we're going through right now like a lot of security forms we're getting a lot of requests for iso 27001 soc 2 certifications all these things and we keep getting them over and over and over this would help a lot in clarifying the data landscape that we have uh, so while we're perhaps too small or have been too small to think about this in the past, where we are now, where we're going, this makes perfect sense because we get a lot of question about this. What data do you have? Where's the data located? How is the data located? How do you protect the data? What built-in protection do you have? What extra protection do you have? Do you have firewalls? Where don't you have firewalls? Like There's a lot of questions around that. So any type of insights we can get to our data landscape and the, the like full data state we have in the cloud helps a lot. And I think this will be something that I need to take a look at for, for production use as well. Um, all right, cool. Is there anything else we need to know about this thing? Uh, one last thing on the pricing uh, before we close up is that I'm looking at the price about 430 euro a month. And then I'm thinking, well, what if we built something on our own, pull some open source, capabilities and sort of configure Azure functions and whatnot to do the scanning, you could probably get something to work, but that would take tens of hours or 10 to 15 days and then constant fiddling to get it running. So, so keeping in mind that you pay for this, but then it works. You do the configuration, which doesn't take too long, assuming you have permissions on the data sources, then it runs, then it gives you alerts, then it reacts. So, so, so there's no constant tinkering required. So in, in, in a sense, it's a bit like Defender for Cloud and Microsoft Sentinel that once you set it up, it runs and it starts bringing you business value in that sense. So while not cheap, I, I think the pricing is sort of justified, but this also remains to be seen once we actually deploy this to a larger environment to see if the resource sets the, the one resource set is enough, or if we need more V cores, or if we need more capacity units. And, and then we sort of see how it scales and, and what you end up paying for. But for, for closing, so it's, it's a massive set of capabilities. And, and don't be fooled with the whole Microsoft purview in that sense. This was the old Azure purview and a couple of the, of the connected features like data map and data catalog and data connectors. But then, it's also a mature product. So I wouldn't start deploying this first. You need to build everything else before 
zero trust, network security, securing identities, the, the well-architected framework that we've been discussing on a couple of episodes, all of those need to be in place first. And then I would start looking into this. So this is more of an advanced capability, not something you deploy on the moment you have a new Azure subscription and you go, let's do data governance. This is too complex. This is too costly for that. But for companies that have been in the cloud for five or 10 years now, this makes perfect sense. All right. Yeah. I, I think this is a pretty good round off and, and a good closing note on this. Um, during this talk just now, uh, when we talked about it, I actually spun up a new Azure, um, sorry, Microsoft uh, purview as well in my Azure portal. And, and I'm already there adding some data sources in, in the data map and, and taking a look at it. So it's it's pretty slick, pretty easy to get started, just like you mentioned as well. So now we'll take it for a spin and then I will do a, a proof of concept for my organization and then kind of see uh, if this is something I can spin up for, for the use cases that I know we already have uh, because we get a lot of questions around this. So. So that's pretty great. Sounds so good. Thank you for that. So, so the last thing, the unexpected question, and this week it's going to be my turn to ask you. So here goes. What's an English word that you feel is the most challenging to pronounce? <laughs> how, how many can I say? <laughs> um, so I, I have, I have a few of those. And uh, perhaps I, I can pronounce them better today, but you know, as a non-native American or English speaker, I'm from Sweden. I've always lived in Sweden, never lived abroad as such. Um, there's a few words that doesn't make sense to me, or I understand them now. So one of them is, because I'm going to give you a few, right? Because this, yep. is, a, this is definitely an interesting uh, discussion point. So at one point I was in the US and we were, and this was for an MVP summit a long time ago. And I didn't understand what one of the things were. We were at a military base and we played paintball. So long story short, we had a, a community gathering and one of the sergeants or whatever, one of the, the military persons who guided us around, he had a, a, a badge with his name and there was a title um, and it said colon L, colon L. And I asked him, uh, just I just asked him plain out. Uh, perhaps I came off as a bit rude, but what is a colon L, colon L? And he was perhaps a bit offended because it sounds like colon, but that's colonel, right? Because that's a military grade thing. If you're a colonel, you're something something. I don't know, but it's spelled like colonel. So I never, I, I've heard that word a million times, but I never knew how that was written when I was there. And this is 15 years ago. It's, a, it's quite some time ago. So that was a word that really struck me. And, and, and they're like, no, that you mean colonel? I'm like, no, the, the colonel. <laughs> it's, it's here. <laughs> the, the <laughs> yeah, that's colonel. I'm like, but there's, there's no R and there's none of the letters you're saying is in there. So how does that make sense? Uh, so that was one. Um, and then you have, um, you know, this, um, there's a, a sauce that you can have. Um, how do you how do you say this? The Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. I have no idea how it's spelled. Yeah, I think I've learned it now to um, like the British English pronunciation because I work with uh, two people from the UK and it's Worcestershire or Worcestershire. That's how you say it, but it's it's spelled Worcestershire. 
and obviously for anyone who's not from the UK, uh, is probably saying it like that. And then just to round it off, there's another one. Um, you know, there I think it's called draught, like draught, uh, but it's like draft, uh, but it's spelled draught in in the sense that oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. a cool air or alcoholic beverage from a keg or whatever that's a draft, like a draft beer or a draft keg, whatever. But then you have a draught, like when the fields or the crops is is not getting rain for a period of time, you have the draught, the draught, the draft. <laughs> now I'm confusing, but I I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I think it's, I think the pronunciation is draft, but it's spelled like draught. Also super yeah. confusing for someone who's, you know, non-American or non-English. Uh, so I think those are my my three words that I at some point have like an epiphany saying, oh, is that what that word is? Or is that how you say that <laughs> word? So Colonel uh, Worcestershire, which I think is the, the pronunciation and draft um, or colonial and Worcestershire and draught. <laughs> I can I can agree on all of this super hard to pronounce because you're sort of reading that first, then then you're thinking through that translating that in your mind to your own language, translating back to English and then trying to pronounce that and it, it gets messy. It's a bit like sous vide, but sous vide, I think we know by now. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, All thank right. you for joining this week again on compliance with Microsoft Purview. Uh, hear you next week. All right, see you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.